And what's going on, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the Jim Bratton Podcast. I'm just going to go ahead and dive right into the news today because I've got a lot of stuff to talk about. It's going to be it's going to be a pretty busy week coming up. It was it was a pretty busy weekend in terms of the sports world with all of the college football news and happenings that took place in week number 2 and it was also in case you were spending quite a bit of time under a rock this weekend and happened to miss the kickoff of professional football season, at least talking about the the NFL, obviously. It was week one of that. I will have much more to say about that on the show tomorrow because, as we all know, it is Titans Tuesday on the show tomorrow, and so I can't wait to get into that and talk about how the Tennessee Titans offense packed about as much of a, about as much of a punch as a water pistol. That's just how horrible the Tennessee Titans offense was against the New Orleans Saints yesterday. But before that's tomorrow, before I get to that, just to give a quick little brief rundown of the show today, uh, I'm going to be talking, I'm going to be really just continuing much of the coverage from what I was talking about last week as far as what the main story of college football happens to be now and has been over the course of the last two weeks or so, and that is Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, and what a job, just what a job he's been doing at Colorado, man. It's just crazy to watch, and so I'm gonna, that's number one. Number two is really just the biggest game that was on the calendar last week as far as college football goes. Texas and Alabama, there's certainly going to be and have been a lot of questions coming out of that game as far as what the future of Alabama football holds, quite frankly. And I've, I asked, I, I asked, the listeners and viewers of the show on my social media yesterday uh if they th- if indeed they do think this is the end of the air of this particular era of Alabama football in terms of just the dominance that we've seen over the course of the last several years really since Nick Saban has been there and I've gotten a lot of a lot of conflicting responses and a lot of angry responses as well and 
yes, you can assume that much of that ang- much of those angry responses did indeed come from Alabama fans. And so I'll be getting more into detail on that. And I'm also going to be looking into week three and the upcoming slate of college football games that will be taking place this week. But before I do that, yes, I'm very much, despite the fact that football, both college and now with the NFL really kicking off, has started to consume me in terms of my sports viewership. I'm very much well aware that there are other things that are going on in the sports world. And the world of tennis was certainly on the center stage or center court, depending on which whichever phrase you want to use this past week as well. The U.S. Open has now concluded now that the two and that, and now that the two championship ga- matches I almost said games you see you see how conflicted I am with the sports viewership thing as far as referring to college football and pro football games instead of tennis matches goes you you guys see where my dilemma is anyway Now that the two U.S. Open tennis matches have concluded, let me just extend my congratulations to the two winners of those matches. Uh, In the men's final, which should have been a surprise to absolutely nobody, uh, Novak Djokovic, the Joker, emerged victorious in three sets over Daniil Medvedev. And in the women's final, Coco Goff, 19-year-old Coco Goff, was the victor in the women's, the U.S. Open Women's Championship. And just the fact that she's just 19 years old is remarkable to me, the fact that she's able to do what she is able to do on the stage that she is able to do it on is just speaks volumes to me about who Coco Goff is as an athlete and as a tennis player. And so before I get into the nitty gritty portion of the show today, which is football, uh, I just wanted to go ahead and extend my congratulations to the Joker and Coco. Now, let's get back into the football, shall we? Uh, Coach Prime, right off the bat, Coach Prime, what a guy, what a guy. The guy just, the man just continues to get it done. And, of course, I've said on this show before that the schedule is going to get 
much tougher down the stretch, especially two weeks from now when the Buffaloes head up to Oregon to take on the Oregon Ducks. And what could be a top 15, what could be a top 15 matchup potentially could be a top 10 or 12 matchup, depending on how different things shake out over the course of this week in college football. Talking about Colorado and Oregon, especially, and of course, the biggie for Colorado is actually two weeks from this coming Saturday, I believe, when they play USC and Caleb Williams. going to be very tough test for both, both sides, honestly, but especially for Coach Prime and his Colorado Buffaloes. But, as it relates to last week against Nebraska, the big rivalry game between Colorado and Nebraska, which really hasn't been that much of a rivalry over the last few years based on, really based on the fact that both of these programs have sucked over the last few years. There's really no other way to put it. But Colorado, Colorado, man, my gosh, my gosh, when, you know, it took them, it did take them a while to get things going offensively. Shador Sanders, the quarterback, Dion's son, of course, who is really, he's really making himself be known by his, his first name instead of just people referring to him as Dion's son and just going by his last name. He's really, really doing a good job of bringing prominence to his first name, Shadur. Shadur, God, Shadur, Shadur Sanders, what a guy, what a guy. I'll get to him a little bit more in just a second, but more broadly speaking about Colorado's offense, once they got going, man, they got going. And Shador Sanders, prime example of why I say that, he finished 31 of 42, 393 yards passing, and two touchdowns on the day against the the Cornhuskers of Nebraska. And of course, as I was just saying just a minute ago, Shador Sanders is really, he's really starting to emerge. He is really starting to emerge even more from just the guy who was, you know, just the guy who was 
putting up video get video game numbers at the FCS level at Jackson State and has really stepped onto the stage as a guy, him, so to speak. And, of course, I was talking about this on the show last week as well, about the possibility of Shador Sanders entering the Heisman Trophy conversation. And when you look at performances... When you look at the performances that he put up over the last two weeks, this past week against Nebraska and now two weeks ago against TCU when I believe he accounted for five touchdowns, two touchdowns this past week. So that's seven, a total of seven touchdowns. in the first two weeks of the season, you begin to see why he's making a case for himself as a Heisman Trophy candidate. One of the big weapons, and I'm just going to go back into Colorado's offense here more broadly, one of the big weapons that they have also picked up, and I remember touching on him in very much in detail last week as well. Xavier Weaver just put up another big performance for Colorado. 10 catches, 170 yards, and a score. And when you look at those just gaudy offensive numbers, you begin to see why people are so high on Colorado and why they are beginning to hype up these big-time profile games that the Buffaloes will be playing over the next three weeks, not, not including Colorado State this week, by the way, which is not going to be a contest. The Buffaloes are, I believe, 22-point favorites in that game. But just switching gear, looking ahead to Oregon and USC over the next three weeks, you begin to see why a lot of people are hyping those games up. There's going to be a lot of points involved. And You know, Pac-12, what we've come to be known as Pac-12 after dark, and of course the reason for that, it's kind of a running joke how the majority of Pac-12 games kick off late at night, at least here on the East Coast, and in the Central time zone, obviously. And so not very many people get to see games in the Pac-12, broadly speaking. And, you know, that's that was last year, though. This year in the Pac... The Pac-12 this year is basically 
telling everybody to hold its drink at this point because it's there's going to be a lot of exciting football games in the Pac-12 conference over the course of the next three weeks, in particular Colorado, Oregon, and Colorado, USC. Going to be a lot of points involved, so get your popcorn ready, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Colorado has apparently, and I've not seen the entire poll yet, but what I do know is that Colorado has moved up to number 18. This goes to the trend that I was alluding to earlier about people being so much higher on them or being high on them, so to speak. And they just continue to impress people in the Associated Press poll as iffy as the voters in it are. I'll get to why I say that a little bit more in detail in just a few minutes. But moving up four spots in the AP poll this week from 22 to 18 are the Buffaloes of Colorado. So they just continue to impress people, man. Coach Prime just continues to show that, you know, he's been he's been saying all offseason, we we coming. That's sort of been Colorado and Coach Prime's motto, I'm coming. I'm coming. Well, they are here, apparently, and are putting the entire, seem to be putting the entire country on notice that they are here and they are not planning on going away anytime soon, at least not for another week. We'll see, we will see how things play out over the course of the next two or three weeks, but for this week in particular, just staying with this week, uh, the Buffaloes are here and they do not look like they are going anywhere anytime soon. So that's number story number one for the day. Number two, Story number two on the docket. I'm going to begin this segment by, and I've I've done this several times before on the show in different contexts. I'd like to quote the great, the just incredible philosopher Morgan Wallen when he said. That I, I guess the joke is on Alabama because they lost big this time. And they certainly lost pretty big in Tuscaloosa on Saturday night to Texas. I mean, Hook'em Horns just went to Alabama and 
showed out. And of course, there's plenty of questions that come out of this. As I was alluding to at the beginning with the questions about Nick Saban and can they adapt and learn from this, I'll get to that question a little bit more in detail in a second. But the other big question that comes out of this Texas-Alabama game where, of course, Texas was able to take home the win by a score of 34-24 to is, you know, we've been asking this question over the course of the last several years now, but are, are they back? Are th- are they back yet? Are they are they not back? Well, I mean, what's what's going on with the Texas Longhorns? As of right now, I do not know the answer to that question. I mean, that's going to have to be answered over the course of the next several weeks, as the se- really up until the end of the year. I think it really has to, I think we will start to get a better sense of answering that question once the first college football playoff rankings come out and depending on where Texas is, when those rankings come out, I think we'll get a little bit better sense of where the answer to that question is and what the answer to that question is. But coming back to Saturday night, Quinn Ewers, what a guy. What a guy. I mean, he's apparently he's done so many things to change his perception, I guess, of where he thinks he needs to be since last year. He's obviously made some changes to his hairstyle because the mullet is not there anymore. And I don't know if that helps him out in terms of aerodynamics or what. It certainly certainly doesn't hurt him in terms of on-field performance because he finished 24-38 for 349 yards, three touchdowns against the vaunted defense of Alabama. And the play that really stood out to me, and this is just from me watching the highlights of it, because, and I'm I'm going to, try to make this change this week, okay? Because Spectrum and ESPN have really been really been messing me up over the last two weeks. And I'm hoping at some point this week, uh, I'm officially going to be on Team YouTube TV because I've heard so many great things about it. And as far as I know, 
They have not cut off any contract that they had with Disney or ESPN, or I guess in this case, Disney and ESPN. They're both owned by the, they're both one and the same, so to speak. But anyway, just to let, just to sum up this little sidebar on my TV viewing, hopefully by the end of this week, I will hopefully officially be on Team YouTube TV. Now, why do I say that? Because I did not get to actually watch this entire game. I just saw the little snippets of the of the big major highlights, if you will. But the major highlight that stood out to me from Quinn Ewers was the walk-off, essentially, at the 8.23 mark of the fourth quarter that really helped seal the deal for Texas after a few minutes prior to that, Bama had scored and converted the two-point conversion to cut Texas's lead to three. And of course, on that last scoring drive of the game, Quinn Ewers just drops back and uncorks a pass to, I believe his name is Adonai Mitchell. If I have that, I believe I have that correctly. Or I, I believe I have that name correct. But just beautiful throw. Beautiful heck of a bomb throw from Quinn Ewers. But... That was really, I think, what helped seal the deal for Texas against Alabama on Saturday night. And the question now becomes, and this is the question that I'd asked on social media, is this current era, the Nick Saban era of Alabama football, is that over following Saturday Saturday night's loss to Texas? And, of course, as I mentioned, I've gotten a lot of angry and conflicting responses on this, most notably from Alabama fans, certainly, but... My answer on this is I th- I think it's still I think the jury is probably still out because when you're repl- when you're replacing a guy like Bryce Young, number 1 pick in the draft and a guy that really helped cover up many of Alabama's inconsistencies Last year, people people forget that they if that if Quinn Ewers had stayed healthy in that game in Austin last year, that Alabama may may have very well lost to Texas last year in Austin. But 
Bryce Young, of course, certainly did a very good job of not allowing that to happen. But when you've got to replace a, a guy like a Bryce Young and the weapons on the outside are not necessarily up to par with where they have been in years past. And you've basically got a log jam at the quarterback position trying to replace a guy like Bryce Young. Remember, it took the took Alabama all the way up until basically the end of fall camp to make that decision to go to Jalen Melrose. Is that going to change? Who knows? Maybe. Maybe, because if Nick Saban's history is any indication of this, we all know that something is going to change at Alabama. Something has got to change. And Nick Saban, over the course of his entire career, has certainly done a very good job of adjusting to changing circumstances. But, and I, but obviously the defense is still there. You would assume and hope if you're an Alabama fan because they certainly still have a lot of key pieces, particularly in the secondary. I'm looking at a guy like Kool-Aid McKinstry in particular. So I think the jury is probably still out on the is this era of Alabama football over with question, although to be fair, you do also have to take into account that Father Time is very much undefeated. Why do I bring up Father Time? Because I believe uh, this coming Halloween, Nick Saban will be 72 years old. And the question coming out of that is, how much longer can Nick Saban continue, or how, how much longer is he going to want to continue to coach, I should say. Certainly, when you're about to turn 72, that question becomes, that question starts to come more and more to the forefront of things. But, certainly this is no knock against Nick Saban, he certainly proved that he is one of, if not the greatest college football coaches that there has ever been. Certainly, it takes, certainly I take no pleasure in saying that as a Tennessee Vols fan, but Father Time is very much undefeated, and am I 
Am I coming out and saying today that this is going to be Nick Saban's last year at Alabama? No. But just in the interest of fairness, you have to take those questions into consideration. But as far as Alabama, as far as this era of Alabama football being at an end, I I just think we do not know enough to say one way or the other at this point. Uh, Before I move on to this last little tidbit of stuff that I'm going to be talking about before I get out of, excuse me, before I get out of here, I just want to set to ask everybody out there, is, is there any way that I can possibly get an AP vote? Because point of personal privilege, I've been saying all week that Florida State should have jumped Alabama, ahead of Alabama in last week's AP poll. Certainly that was not the case. Last week, it is the case this week for obvious reasons, but do you, do you begin, do you see why I would have said that? Do you see why I would have gone out on a limb, apparently, and said that? Does it it make just a little bit more sense now? I think it does. I, I think it does. But I need to figure out how to get a vote in the Associated Press Top 25 poll because apparently I must see some things that the voters in the AP poll don't see because when you have Florida State knocking off a team like LSU who is no slouch, mind you. But that was a top 10 matchup last week. People forget. But when you compare that to what Alabama did to my my beloved alma mater, which, frankly, they should, they should have done to my beloved alma mater. It was really no surprise to see Alabama win that game by a score of 56-7. to But it's, it's really night and day when you, when, you, when you look at it, okay? So I need to figure out how to get a vote in the AP poll. I'm going to do some research on that and... One way or the other, I will try to get back to you guys as soon as possible as far as with what the verdict of that is. I'm, and to be, to be fair, yes, I know that I'm not going to end up getting an AP, an AP vote. I'm being a tad sarcastic when I say all of this, obviously, although, am am I though? Am I? Anyway, moving on to 
week three of the college football slate of games, there's really not that much, much like it was with week two. There's really not that many games that stand out to me just from Peru, just from briefly browsing the schedule. I guess I'll be watching South Carolina, Georgia, mainly because it's mainly because it's going to be on CBS, and this may very well be one of the last times that I and we get to see a SEC game on CBS, because starting next year, the CBS game of the week is going to be exclusively in the Big Ten, which is sad for a lot of reasons, but maybe maybe South Carolina will give them a game, maybe not, probably not, but we will we will just have to wait and see what happens on two thirty what happens at two thirty on this coming Saturday afternoon and of course of course for my Tennessee fans out there I do not need to tell you what week it is and for the viewing audience yes I was very much doing the gator chomp very sarcastically because it is in fact, Florida week, and hopefully, hopefully the receivers have learned how to catch at this point. Hopefully, Joe Milton can clear up all of his inconsistencies because if he doesn't, then I'm not, I'm not going to make a prediction today because certainly. With the rivalry game, it's all up. It's all up in the air, and certainly Florida has made its fair share of mistakes this season as well. But you know, Joe Milton has already said that he doesn't lose in the state of Florida, and hopefully for Tennessee fans, that is and. Of course, knock on wood. Hopefully, that is going to be the case this Saturday night in the swamp. And with all of that being said, I suppose that is going to do it for me today. Uh, Be sure to stay tuned for the show tomorrow, which is, of course, Titans Tuesday on the Jim Bratton podcast, and I'll, I will be, of course, breaking down the rest of this week's NFL scores post-week one. Obviously, I'll be talking about the Titans and the Saints in greater detail and looking ahead to week two's action as well. Should be a lot of fun, so get your popcorn ready for that, ladies and gentlemen. But with all of that being said, guys, 
I've got to hop out. I've got to hop out of here. I want to thank you all so much for watching and listening to this edition of the Jim Bratton podcast. I very much appreciate it, and I will see you tomorrow.